Hey, it's Jamie. Today's episode features an interview that I did with Dr. Joni Johnston, a forensic psychologist, author, and private investigator. Dr. Johnston and I sat down to talk about the Tara Lee case, which she's spoken about previously on her YouTube channel. Not only does Dr. Johnston have interesting insight on Tara Lee's case from a professional point of view, she also resonates with the case personally, which we get into during our conversation. With cases like this one, where the perpetrator operated in a particularly cold and quite frankly wicked manner, I'm always inclined to speak with an expert who can shed light from a psychological perspective. Dr. Johnston did just that, and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Please enjoy this episode featuring forensic psychologist Dr. Joni Johnston. Dr. Johnston, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I came across your name by our researcher and writer, Gina, and I think she had come across a piece that you'd written in Psychology Today about Tara Lee, the scammer, as well as your YouTube channel where you covered Tara's story. Um, And, you know, just based on your background, I could not wait to talk to you. So welcome to the show and thanks for making the time. Well, I am thrilled to be here. And this topic has a very personal interest of mine as well as professional. So I was especially happy to hear that you're going to be covering this particular person. Great. And I can't wait to get into that. I guess let's start off by if you could introduce yourself, just let us know a little bit about your professional background and your current work. So I'm Dr. Joni Johnston. I'm a forensic and clinical psychologist and private investigator. And I do a lot of work in forensic psychology, and that ranges from a lot of different things. I evaluate defendants for insanity pleas. I do a lot of violence risk assessments. I'm also a very strong victims advocate, so I do some counseling in that area. So really anything that involves criminal work and it involves some kind of question where law and psychology overlap, Mm -hmm. that's really my sweet spot. How did you come to learn about Tara and what drew you to want to talk about her and look into her and tell her story? That's such a good question because I, it is very atypical for me to cover a case like this. I tend to cover violent offenses, as I mentioned earlier, murder or sexual assault and those kinds of things, not only in terms of my writing, but in terms of my forensic work. But a friend of mine actually has sent me a link about this particular case, and I did some reading on it, and I was just horrified by it. And as an adoptive parent, as well as a forensic psychologist, it really piqued my interest and infuriated me. And I just felt like it was a story that needed to be told because having been in that world, and it really is like a world in and of itself to some extent, like a lot of different things are when you're in the middle of it. I could relate to so many different aspects of it personally, as well as professionally. Oh my gosh. So that's interesting. So you are also an adoptive parent. So I imagine this just gave you all the feels and maybe not in a good way. The scams that she committed we're against people who are in a very vulnerable state. And I've come to learn that a lot of scammers pinpoint people who are particularly vulnerable, people who are maybe addicts or like an adoptive parent who's desperate to form a family. So I can imagine this story really resonated with you, given that you are yourself an adoptive parent. It really did. And I think when we think about adoption, we oftentimes think about birth parents and birth moms being the vulnerable ones. And they oftentimes are in a difficult situation, having to make some tough choices. You're absolutely right. People who are wanting to adopt are so vulnerable in so many different ways. And there are lots of dreams. They've often gone through very difficult times and it's been a long journey for them. And so 
they are vulnerable. And you're absolutely right. I have a particular interest in female offenders in particular. And when you talk about financial crimes and people who get scammed for money and those kinds of things, they're masters at targeting people who, whether it's situational vulnerability, which I think is more often the case, or just personally vulnerable, they're just masters at spotting those individuals or picking groups that Mm. are vulnerable. It's like a shark that smells blood in the water. Going back to something that you had said, particularly about Tara, you know, a lot of scammers, they scam from afar, right? They're on a computer screen, they're on the internet, and they're scamming people from afar, and they never meet them, they never see them. Tara got up close and personal with these people, as you had pointed out. What does that tell us about Tara and how it may set her apart from other scammers? What does that tell us about her? Well, I think it certainly tells us about her capacity to lack Mm. empathy for people. And, you know, I never diagnose anybody that I haven't evaluated. I'm not going to diagnose Tara because I have not evaluated her. But I will say to you that the repeated and ongoing way that she did manipulate her victims, that she did in some ways groom them in a different kind of way, for, you know, adoption failures or to get money from them or those kinds of things. It's a whole different level than somebody who is writing loving emails from, you know, another country and then never see that person. To be an adoptive mom herself also is just, or even to be a parent herself and to know what it's like to have a child and to want a child and go through that process and be able to not just once, but over and over again, to do some of the things that she did, not only to adoptive parents, but to birth parents and take advantage of them. I don't even know what to say to that. It really is like a whole different level of somebody's greed and just complete lack of empathy and conscience. You're absolutely right. And that's what's really set her as a perpetrator apart in my mind and just made her so deplorable to me and definitely to the judge in this case. As you know, he had some very harsh words for her, which I think was well suited. And that leads me into, you'd also mentioned that, you know, Tara may potentially be what people often refer to as an emotional scammer. And perhaps her ability or her need or her want to get so close to her victims, does that correlate with her potentially being an emotional scammer? And what is an emotional scammer? Well, I think that, you know, it's so easy because oftentimes when people are scamming, they're looking for money, or at least that's the obvious goal. But some of the things that she did, and I will say a lot of times scammers get some kind of emotional payoff from the actual process itself. And it's very clear that there were times when Tara went in above what she needed to do to get money from people. But then she would talk to them over and over again. She would make up these elaborate stories. She would you know, entertain these fantasies, encourage them to talk about their hopes and dreams for this child. Those are things that aren't directly tied necessarily to her getting some kind of payoff. And I mm-hmm. think when you're talking about somebody who's an emotional scammer, it's to some extent they get some kind of emotional satisfaction from duping people, from controlling them in that way. I don't know that it's ever strictly about money or strictly about mm-hmm. you know something. There's always this psychological payoff, I think, involved. Yeah, it seems much more complex than just, I want money, I'm going to commit a scam. It almost seems like she was filling some, and I don't know her and I've never met her and I don't know, but it's like she she was filling some void, some loneliness, insecurity or something she was lacking by bonding with these people and getting something from them. Like you said, an emotional payoff to fill her own needs. What's interesting, I think sometimes when you're 
talking about scamming is how it begins. I don't know completely how it began. You know, the first person that she worked with, I don't know how that process evolved. My sense is that perhaps through her own adoption process, she began to realize what a vulnerable group adoptive parents were. Maybe the idea came to her. I know that there were some legitimate adoptions that she performed. So it may be that, in fact, at the beginning, she did perform some legitimate adoptions. She did think this is going to be a way to help people. But at some point, the fork in the road came and she took the wrong turn. And she really did begin to obviously mislead people, lie to them, manipulate them, scam them. We could, there's all kinds of labels we could throw on that. And you're right. I wonder for her how blurry that became in terms of, did she get so caught up in some fantasy of talking to people and encourage them that she doesn't even know herself how much of it was for the money and how much of it at some point was for this kind of psychological payoff? Yeah. And I think to your point, I think that, again, it's a very complex situation and every scammer is different. But I, it seems to me that some scammers start off legitimately like, hey, I'm going to get into this thing that's going to make me some money. And then at some point they just take a hard left and they realize, you know what, it's much easier for me to just like cheat people and get their money, you know, and then manipulate them. And then it turns into a scam. But I also think in perhaps in Tara's situation that allowing the victim some wins, there were some successful adoptions, right? Yes. But that could have been nefarious from the start with Terry. That could have been totally like part of the scam. And because if you think about it, as we pointed out in the podcast, it's like she can't just have no successful adoptions because then nobody's going to want to work with her. And then that means Tara doesn't get anybody's money. She has to have some successful adoptions or some wins to be able to gain people's trust and go, look at Betsy over here. She got a baby, you know, through me, of course. Why wouldn't you? And also just creates a legitimacy and a trust, you know. So we don't know which one it was. Maybe she started off with good intentions and then it took a hard left. Or it maybe it was just set up this way from the start as a scam. You really don't know. You don't. And, you know, normally I like to give people the benefit of the doubt because one of the things I've realized in my many years as a forensic psychologist is that, you know, in general, people are not as bad as the worst thing they've done or as good as the best thing they've done. And so I've been able to see the gray, you know, in so many perpetrators. With Tara, you know, with her willingness, not only to lie to so many different people, string them along, have them fly out, staying in hotel rooms, waiting for the birth of the baby when there is no baby, but also the absolute you know, callousness she showed toward birth parents, you know, who oftentimes were staying in these horrible places and didn't have a stove or, you know, you know, she was taking money from them. You're right. I don't know. You know, it's believable to me that from the beginning, she thought, okay, well, I've got to have a couple of successes because these are going to be the trophies I pull out to show the people that I want to scam that look at this success story. You know, if Joni can do it, then you can too. Look at what I did. And so it, it is definitely possible that from the very beginning. But even if at the beginning she thought that she had some kind of altruistic motive or let's say it was A and B, it was a lucrative, potentially lucrative opportunity and she could do good. Right. That was years ago. And she has an unbelievable track record of just breaking hearts and leaving a trail of tears and empty bank accounts behind her. What's that quote when somebody shows you who they are, believe them, you know, from Maya Angelou. It's the thing is, you know, she has showed us who she is and it's from the beginning. And as you and I have both mentioned in our content about her, she was committing 
check frauds and not paying her bills from a very early start. And then she got into these huge, elaborate, highly emotionally traumatic scams. I guess that leads me to my next question for you. Do you think that somebody like her can be rehabilitated? Do you think it's possible? So let me ask you this question, Jamie. What is rehabilitation? Because are you saying, can this person leave prison and never offend again? And I would say, yes, it's possible for her to leave prison and not offend again. Her not to pretend to have babies that don't exist and those kinds of things. If you're saying rehabilitation in terms of truly experiencing remorse and really owning what she's did and feeling the feelings of her victims, that is a much tougher question to answer. I've worked and I evaluate many offenders who committed horrible crimes as teenagers. And I'm now seeing them in their 40s and 50s looking at parole. And I can tell you, I see the gamut. I see Mm. people who genuinely... They're not the same person. Not only have they worked hard to gain some skills and some insight, but they really do feel remorse for what they've done. I see others who have played the system, taken the classes they're supposed to get out. So it's difficult for me to think that Tara will ever be able to truly experience what she's done on an emotional level just because of how long that she did the things that she did, but not only that, how closely she was to their pain. Sure. And that's the thing that's so hard, I think, to get our heads around is how can you be that close to somebody's pain and still continue to do the things that you do? And that's very discouraging for me from a rehabilitation standpoint. You threw the question back at me, and I totally understand why now, because you're exactly right. It runs the gamut. So With Tara, given the cruel, extremely cruel and close nature of her crimes against these people, she got so close to them. Like you said, it demonstrates her lack of the ability to show empathy. I'm not a professional, but I don't know how you put that ability in someone who's shown time and time again that they just don't have it. Now, to your point, you know, I think of a situation where let's say there's a young gang member, right? He gets caught up in a gang. He's 17 years old and he's part of a drive-by shooting. He goes to prison, gets out 25 years later, and he feels immense remorse. He's no longer that person. If he had it to do all over again, he would never do it again. That I completely understand how somebody could go, could get out and walk a straight line and be a decent citizen and human being in society. But his crime, you know, that we're talking hypothetical crime, is completely different than Tara's repeated, highly emotional and cruel and nefarious crimes against these people. Those are just two different things. So I guess to answer your question, you know, I can see scenarios where somebody can do something similar to what Tara did and they could get out of prison and never do that thing again, but perhaps never be able to have the ability to have much empathy for anybody, right? Then there's a scenario where somebody gets out of prison like Tara and they will do it again. And the empathy thing is where I get stuck is like with Tara, I don't see her ever having the ability to have that empathy. I just don't think it's in her. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can put it in her for lack of a better term. Right. So I'm glad you brought that up because people can come out of prison and walk a straight line and still not have empathy. Absolutely. And we know there are plenty of people who 
you know, not the majority of people, of course, majority of people have plenty of empathy and compassion and remorse and guilt for things that they do that hurt other people. But there are certainly people who have a limited or lack of ability to have empathy and they don't commit crimes. You know, they don't sure. hurt people horribly. They find other ways to get their needs met. And sometimes they're not the nicest ways, but they know right from wrong. And they know the consequences to themselves if they do cross that line. And so sure. from a societal point of view, we can ask, okay, well, enough. Is it enough if this person gets out of prison and regardless of her psyche and her personality and, you know, lack or of potential lack of empathy or whatever, if she, you know, understands that if she does anything like this again or anything where she hurts other people, she may be back in prison. That may be the, all we can hope for. Sure. You know, I find it interesting, and you will know way more about this than I do, of course, but, you know, I had heard one time on a podcast, we actually have quite a few, you know, psychopaths that walk among us, but the majority of them are not murderers or big scam artists. Yeah, absolutely. The majority of psychopaths are not murderers or scammers. I would also argue that the majority of murderers are not psychopaths. Right. Um, Sociopaths? Some are sociopaths. Mm. When we look at murders, you know, we hear of the ones that are oftentimes premeditated, right? Sure. There's something, you know, we hear about the extreme cases. The majority of murders are people at a bar who get into a fight and somebody ends up dead, right? Or abruptly right. gone wrong. And those people are making very poor choices, but they may have a lot of empathy. And I'm glad you brought that up. But you're exactly right. They're, the majority of murders are not Ted Bundy and all these, you know, glorified serial killers that we hear about, right? right? The majority of murders are somebody, like you said, goes out, gets in a bar fight. Maybe they take a bottle, they smash it over the head and somebody dies. Or maybe they pull out a gun and they shoot somebody because they're so angry. Now, that person has just killed somebody. They've ended their lives and then they go to prison. But I would argue, and I, and I could be totally wrong, I'd love for you to weigh in, people who commit scams like Tara Lee... Tara Lee most likely has a lot more going on psychologically than maybe that person who was in a bar fight and just killed somebody. I guess you're talking about the difference between kind of reactive aggression or violence versus instrumental violence or planned violence. You know, somebody who has poor impulse control, who has poor anger management can be very dangerous. But you're absolutely right. That person is not necessarily as methodical, as systematic you know, may not, you know, may do it, it may happen one time, or they may be somebody who's a domestic batterer, you know, domestic violence perpetrator. That person can be very dangerous, but this person isn't necessarily going along and planning to torture somebody. It, you know, sure. it doesn't matter to the victim necessarily whether this person was planning it or not, if it happens over and over again. But you're right, when you're talking about somebody who is planning, strategizing, this is the best way to get this person to give me money. This is the best kind of birth mother to make up for this particular person. I remember hearing an interview with one of her victims talking about thinking back that she at one point was talking to Tara early on and she said something along the lines of, you know, I just fantasize about this birth mom who's in school and she gets pregnant and she's has this tough decision to make between, you know, continuing education and being a mom and she really wants to pursue her career. And so she makes this tough decision and lo and behold, who does she get matched with? You know, this fantasy person who is essentially the exact same person that she had told Tara she fantasized about. So Tara knew mm -hmm. how to draw this out of her and then use this as her bait, essentially. It's very devious. Very devious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, her behavior is definitely on another level, as you said earlier. And that's why I was so fascinated by this story. She's just so different from almost any other perpetrator. And I'm including, you know, murderers who I've 
researched. And, you know, she just, I just would love to know what exactly is going on inside and more about maybe her childhood and, and perhaps if that may have played a role. You know, to wrap things up, what is your bottom line on Tara Lee? I, you know, your thoughts and your feelings and her future. I feel very discouraged when I think about the kind of rehabilitation we would like to see for Tara in terms of being able to feel empathy for her victims and for people in general, because for somebody who truly lacks empathy, and again, you know, we see obviously the worst that she's done and we're evaluating her based on that. So, you know, it it is discouraging based on what we know to think about her future in terms of her capacity to feel empathy for other people, but people do change. You know, so I'm going to hold out some hope that, you know, with her 10 years in prison, seeing the impact on her children of her actions, I think, is the best hope I have for her in terms of over time, being able to wrap her head around that. So I think that's my hope, because think of how barren your life is, really, if we, if you lack the ability to feel those kinds of emotions, there's no substitute in terms of the victims. I'm not saying I feel sorry for Tara in comparison to things that she's done, but I'm sure. saying it would be nice to think at some point she could, you know, change. And, and, you know, I have seen perpetrators change over time. I don't know that I've seen perpetrators change that have done the, some of the things that she has done systematically and so up close. But I think she's got, you know, if she is going to, I think she's got a lot of work ahead of her. I often wonder what it feels like for a person who does have a severe lack of empathy, can it be torturous for them sometimes because they see how other people behave? You know, oh, this hurt kitten on the road needs my help. Let me help this hurt kitten. And maybe they don't have that ability and they go, gosh, why am I so different? I'm just not like the others. Or because of what's going on psychologically, they don't even really, it's not even a second thought for them. It's just a void. You know, I think for a long, long time, um, there was really the sense that, you know, for people who were psychopaths, and again, as we've already said, which I appreciate, and I'll say one more time, we're not saying that Tara's a psychopath because we don't know that. But for the people who are, who meet that clinical definition, for a long time, I think psychologists put them in this black box and just felt like, you know, a there's something that's missing that can never, ever be there. There's this complete inability to feel emotions for other people. And I think there's been some research that suggests that it isn't quite that black and white, that there's obviously, you know, just like, you know, with diagnostic criteria, you know, it's not like an either or, it's a continuum. But I would also say, you know, from a victim standpoint, or just from my interpersonal standpoint, I would never encourage somebody to stay in a relationship hoping mm-hmm. that the person that you're with who has never exhibited empathy towards you is going to change. That is an overly optimistic view. And yeah. the odds of you getting hurt are pretty high. Yeah, it seems like a potentially very dangerous situation. Yes. For the other person involved. I appreciate you saying that. Dr. Johnston, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so insightful. I absolutely can't wait to air this episode. When it comes to the true crime stories, whether it's a, a big scammer or murderer, people are always interested in knowing a little more about the psychology of things. So I appreciate you offering your expertise and let us know where everybody can find you and follow you. One is my Psychology Today column, which is called The Human Equation. And then the other one would just be my website, which is drjoanyjohnston.com. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Johnston. I really appreciate you coming on. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for covering this such an important topic.
Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud 10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.